This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Dan Weederer, on-air contributor for 670 The Score. You're going to be relying on a lot of young players. The Bears are who we thought they were. When either they drafted them or guys that they believe in that were already here, that's guys like Justin Fields. Bears beat reporter and enterprise writer for the Chicago Tribune. This was the example today of what the top of the league looks like, what elite play in the NFL looks like, and what the bottom looks like. And I think the Bears came to the harsh realization that they are light years away from wherever this team that that plays in this building is at right now. Dan Wiedewer. Get your track shoes on. With Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. Dan Wiederer is brought to you by Busey Bank, building business growing wealth since 1868. And by Plumbers 911, plumbing emergency. Call the plumbing professionals. Available 24-7 at 1-833-PLUM-911. He joins us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670. The Score. Dan, before we even get to uh, the the quarterback and, and whatever any of that means, how can the Bears, how can this team, how can the Hits principal team come out and just not tackle? Like that, that what, mm-hmm. I, what I don't understand, the one thing that should travel is effort, rallying to the ball, keeping their feet moving, and they just didn't. And why? Yeah. So, Dan, they didn't tackle. And then the other thing that, that troubled me a little bit after the game was hearing Cole Komet say that he just didn't feel like they had an edge establishing the running game up front on offense either. And so two things that you are trying to have as a uh, basically a, a nucleus of your identity as you try to build yourself into a successful program were absent on a primetime stage for the whole world to see. And, and and they were exposed once again as this inconsistent and error-prone team that just can't get out of its own way and just makes so many mistakes. The two sequences, to me, that really lost the game, because I think we'd all agree it was over at halftime, was you hit the first play of the game for 41 yards and you're inside the Chargers 40 and you've got a chance to squeeze points at the very least out of the opening drive and you go with a one-yard run then a two cute play call that's an end around a Trent Taylor that loses two. And then Cody Whitehair gets put on wheels by Joey Bosa and Tyson Bajan gets sacked and you punt. The end the half then ends with the Chargers going 75 yards for a touchdown drive, which to your point ends with a play in which the quarterback hits a tight end underneath on what is going to be probably the last play of the half before a, a half ending field goal attempt and two guys that should be capable of tackling and bringing their feet with them and, and you know, wrapping up and driving through a, a ball carrier with on tackles. And, and then all of a sudden you've got a, a, a tight end and Donald Parham Jr. in the end zone. It's 24 to three or 24 to seven. The, the Chargers are getting the ball coming back out of halftime. And the emotional and momentum swing of that whole sequence boils down to one, your inability to get off the field earlier, but then just make an open field tackle at the five yard line on the last play of the half and live to see another day. And it was it was the type of error that was evident all night long in all three phases. The Bears will often point to a play here, play there, seven, eight plays uh, here or there, and they could have won the game. To go kind of with what Dan is talking about, the play that you brought up, Mr. Weeder, where you start the game off with a play and you wonder if 
the player was thinking and not being in instinctual in not getting up and running, having not being touched down. Like those are things to me that should be ingrained inside of what that hits principle is. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. When you have a thin margin for error, you better do the the nitty gritty detailed stuff really, really well. Now, like in Darnell Mooney's defense, that's a, a a bit of a bang bang play where where you're you're engaged with the defender as you dive to make the catch, and and I think kind of your thought is okay, was there contact there? You don't have the the luxury of slowing it down into hyperspeed and not seeing when the last time he touched you was, but still, habits are habits, and no matter at what point of the game they occur you know, you should be conditioned to, to just get up and sprint across the goal line and then make the, the refs make a decision. You know what I mean? And, and, and so like, again, like we, we just keep putting magnifying glasses over errors that the bears make that are things that this coaching staff and this head coach promised that they would do really well every single week. And they do them poorly or inconsistently all season long for a season and a half. And so um, you know, I, I think you know what you see when you get your magnifying glass out in that in that state and you see a, a last place team that hasn't won consecutive games since the end of 2021 and is going nowhere and going nowhere really fast. What did you think was the good from Tyson Bajan and what was the bad? Well, the good is that touchdown drive in the first half, um, which I thought was was terrific. There were four third down conversion completions on that drive where you saw a quarterback with great pocket awareness and ability to see the field, get the ball where it needed to go and, and keep those sticks moving until you got in the end zone. And again, that's a moment right there where that's a, that's a hang around drive there. You know, you get it to 17 to seven and we've all been around this league long enough to know that there are games that if you just are able to hang around long enough and maybe capitalize on the other team's boredom, you get yourself back in a football game and you, and you, you can, you can jump right back in and, and potentially steal one. Obviously, they didn't get the response from the defense that followed that. But that was a, a drive that if you go back and watch it, you go, man, there's some there's some really, really good stuff here. Now, the the bad is the fact that you're still an inexperienced quarterback and making your second NFL start. And this game still moves really fast with a lot of highly paid, established standout playmakers on the other side of the ball. And so um, obviously the the two interceptions are problematic. The second one probably more on Mooney than on Tyson Bajan. But you know, you got tricked by coverage and you threw the ball to a spot where, where your receiver wasn't. And then you obviously owned it after the game, but it's a, a big moment in a game where it's a turnover that you can't afford when you're playing a team that, that that's better than you. And so, um, you know, it, 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 is it surprising? No. I mean, like, this is what happens. Inconsistency and struggle are the, the staples of being a young quarterback in this league as you gain experience and try to figure out what this league is all about at this speed and at this level. And so Tyson's going to have to figure out how to process that, how to react to that, how to keep himself up and, and, and that confidence up after a game like last night's that was full of sloppiness. And obviously the Bears never got any sort of offensive momentum going. And when you're down uh, as big as they were in the first half, it's it's completely a contrast to what you experienced against the Raiders where you played the game entirely on your terms. Well, now you were playing it completely on the Chargers terms and you had no chance of catching up. Against a real quarterback. And, and that's, that's yeah. what happens when the yeah. other team can't 
really throw the ball against you, you can control the game better. But yep. watching a real quarterback with a real arm and a couple of real receivers take what is given to him by a defense that that plays this way. But you got to force if you're going to do this, you got to rally up and you got to force turnovers. Otherwise, this defense will just lose slower. Well, yeah, no question. And you know, my first twelve years covering the league, I always made sure to appreciate the games where I walked into a stadium and Aaron Rodgers was starting against either the Vikings or the Bears. And, and I just thought like, this is cool to have a, you know, bird's eye view of watching a guy play the position at a really high level. You know, a month ago in, in Kansas City, you watched maybe the best to ever do it operate in a way where you're like, man, that's that there's just special stuff here. I got to tell you, there's some things from up in the SoFi Stadium press box where you're like, man, like it's not only the the the, the kind of internal clock and that pocket awareness, the ability to kind of know where your play is at in, in terms of, you know, the tempo of it and, and where the ball needs to go, but then to be able to just rip some of those throws and to see those in live action, just the, the velocity on them, the accuracy on them, the ability to, to involve eight different pass catchers and just keep your offense humming. It's, you know, you, you watch it with uh, one, a, a shred of appreciation, but then also some jealousy. Cause you're like, you know, can we do that at some point in our existence? Can we do that? Can we have a quarterback no, that, that we're not know, commands a game like that. And you guys have lived it longer than I have, you know, to some extent. And um, here we are kind of just admiring from afar and, and trying to figure out how you, you stay in games like that when you're, when you're outclassed with the other team's talent. What do you know about where Justin Fields' injury and how it's progressing is going? <laughs> There's an interesting footnote here. The Bears sent out their schedule for the week late last night, Lawrence, and they have a, closed walkthrough scheduled for Wednesday, which like was a total head scratcher. And it's, it's something that Maddie Berfus has to be asked today because I have just never at this stage of a season in October, seen a team go to a closed walkthrough in a week like this. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I don't want to wildly speculate on what that means, but I'm just curious. Is it like they want to get a free look at Justin without the world seeing Justin in a bears of, uniform? That, that, like that's my, that's my suspicion. And, and again, it's, it's merely a suspicion and I'd love to hear Matt, explain that in a little while when he when he meets i'm sure he'll do a great job yeah exactly (laughs) but you know so keep an eye on that because like look like i think you know we've talked for a couple weeks now it's kind of all about um you know functional grip strength in that hand and can you do the things with that hand that are required to play this position at this level the interesting part about this is if 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 you're feeling iffy about it the bears have that short turnaround game next week against the panthers on thursday night where you know, if you want to hold Justin out this week, you're probably holding him out for two more because I don't know how you then throw him in to a week where you're not going to have on-field, you know, regular practice reps to get back into the flow of a of a football game. And so the schedule is kind of funky here, timed up with where where Justin's injury is, and it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they they manage this week. And and again, like you know, we're going to have to to play a guessing game probably until Thursday to some extent because of uh, because of what their schedule looks like in terms of their practice week. I'm sure you know the, the where the discussion has turned for those of us who watch the game at home and re- received on the television broadcast a very different game that was actually going on on the field. And it's clear that from the moment we saw that, that early 10 o'clock a.m. Adam Schefter tweet about the high expectations the team has and unnamed player referring to Bajent as, as the next Brock Purdy, and then all of the notes that Chris Collinsworth seemed to have ready to go about what the team wanted and how the team wants Justin Fields to learn from Tyson Bajent, it it, it really, I, I, I think some things showed themselves that are kind of ugly from the inside. 
Um, so a couple things here. Number one, I've got a cross country flight this afternoon that I'm going to watch the entire broadcast on from the back of the plane um, near the restroom with the door opening and closing behind me. But um, <laughs> I get a chance at that point to kind of to kind of get a better feel for what everybody else in the the Chicago viewing public experienced in terms of that. And Good. I can offer a more you know kind of informed commentary after after listening to it. I did see the clip that kind of went viral on social media about um, you know Justin can learn some things from Tyson. I didn't take great exception. To that one because he said some things you know and I, th- I think there are some things that Tyson is doing that are are instructive for Justin in terms of the ability to uh, know what your internal clock is the ability to get the ball out to the ability to move up and 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 laterally in the pocket to create throwing windows and more time for yourself you know Tyson Bajan has been sacked twice in in two starts now and that does not you know, sync up with the volume of, of sacks that Justin Fields takes. And we've known for a while now that Justin holds on to it for a long time. And there, there are moments that he takes quarterback sacks and negative plays that are totally avoidable at this stage of his development as an NFL quarterback. And so I think there is some of that from Tyson that, that you get in the room and, and you have open dialogue and you say, look, like watch this sequence and understand kind of why this this worked and why at times for you it doesn't work. And I'm so going to wait for was... you to hear the broadcast. You have no idea. Okay, and I'll listen to more, but I like you, you no know, I didn't hear ugliness in that comment, and I'll listen to more of that. Um, and it's just like you know, it's like we're at a we're at a, a an awkward state here in the city of of being kind of stuck at a place where everyone hoped we wouldn't be stuck midway through the 2023 season, and now the clock is ticking with nine games remaining and some really serious decisions to be made at that position upcoming, and it creates a lot of tension, you know that 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 you know finds its way. Uh, into the building and out mm-hmm. of the building in, in different kinds and of ways. And there's, uh, there's ass covering going on. There's all sorts of subtweeting happening here. And I would I will tell you this, knowing that you're going to watch the broadcast version in its entirety on an airplane near the bathroom. Old 37C weed. You, you, you will have something at your disposal that I did not have last night, a barf bag. <laughs> And uh, some uh, some of those nice cookies that they pass out every once in a while just to just resettle the stuff. Oh, like the chocolate quinoa monstrosities. I think no, that's I'm actually about those like those those biscoffs that the the American people throw at you midway through the flight with a. Oh yeah, because like you, you United actually does have I, what I, it's something chocolate quinoa something, and I I'm not I I, I my brain couldn't get around it. I it's good for digestion. You're saying? Or, I don't or, know. Or just... I I don't know what it's for. I like the, who gives out the Stroop waffles. Yeah, I don't, that might be Delta. Air Canada does. I like the Stroop waffles. Yeah, Stroop, Stroop waffles are nice. Yeah. Those are enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, cross-country flights, though, are not great. Uh, we are trying no. to get back, but but they're good. They're good on the way out here, Lawrence, because you know you you land in California, and then you've got a couple days before a, a a night game that you can take advantage of some sunshine and beach and vitamin D and golf courses. So that was that was good this weekend. Yes, that is a very very good thing. Do you think that there's any significance? I know that. The, the team president, Kevin Warren, is at all of the games. But he was very visible, and you'll see that on the broadcast when you watch it back, too. And not just visible, visible taking notes. Oh, yeah, he wanted and, to be and, seen taking notes. And look, I imagine that some of the note-taking was about the facility that he was in. Mm-mm. You don't think so? I do. They, they, he did I, that earlier. He probably did that the day I'm, before I'm he sure, goes and he walks but, through. But you, how something plays, like he keeps talking about the fan experience. But I do wonder how much of it has to do with some of the football stuff, too. And I know that you've known Kevin Warren for a really long time compared to the rest of us here in Chicago. Does that strike you as being significant at all? Um, Not entirely. I I would tell you that there are people at NBC that have known Kevin Warren for a very long time, and some of them who have 
recently negotiated massive <laughs> media rights deals uh, with the Big Ten when he was the commissioner there that that then create kind of that, um, okay, you know, let's know where the new team president is going to be and, you know, let's get some eyes on on that. I mean, I think we're all kind of in wait and see mode for January to feel and understand what his level of involvement is going to be in, in taking the big picture lens, even with all the other thing he ha- things he has to do with the stadium and organizationally on what this football operation looks like, because he wanted that control and he wanted that command of those decisions. And obviously he's going to work in lockstep um, with the people that are are under him and, and beside him when it comes to ownership to, to try to figure out a path. But like we're, we're headed toward a pivotal moment in this franchise's history with some big decisions that a new team president doesn't have a track record of making in this role, you know? And so it's going to be really fascinating, I think, to, to kind of feel that and, and then to, to, to judge the actions that are taken for what they are and what they say about, you know, the, the willingness to <laughs> settle and the, the ambition to, to push for more, because I, we're all in agreement that this organization badly, badly, badly needs to push for more. And that's part of Kevin's DNA and, and we'll see how it, uh, plays out, you know, when we get toward the end of the season. I want to talk to you about two players that were both active last night and and wondering whether one should be still on the roster and whether the other one shouldn't have been active. I know that the Bears were down safeties, that that you had a lot of injuries, you had illnesses that were going through your defensive backfield. I felt like it didn't make a lot of sense to dress Eddie Jackson if he wasn't going to play. And I don't mean I needed him to play 40 starts. It just... It feels yeah. like a body that was out there that couldn't help you at all, but was in a uniform. Yeah, that one left me scratching my head, Lawrence, because it was kind of described as, oh, yeah, Eddie was Eddie was in uniform in case of an emergency. Well, what kind of emergency are you looking for? You know, like your, your, your season is hanging by a thread and your you know ability to create momentum and win consecutive games for the first time is, is sitting there for you. And um, the, the, the thing with Eddie right now is that he has this, this discomfort still in that left foot. And I can relate to this on a personal level from years ago when I had Achilles tendonitis and you you start to make your way back. And there was a certain level of discomfort and soreness and pain that comes with pushing back through. And it can be really disconcerting because you feel it and you go, Oh God, I should probably shut it down here. When the instruction from the people, you know, in the medical world is like, you got to push through that as long as it's not like completely, you know, agonizing needles to the the calf type of pain, you got to push through it. And I think he's kind of struggling with that that balance beam right now of, of pushing through the discomfort, understanding that that's what's going to ultimately help it go away. Uh, this is, you know, a, a six weeks in injury now that that's again, lingering from last year. And so, um, yeah, that one's an issue, particularly when you're already down Jaquan Brisker, you you would like to have somebody on that back end that brings a level of stability and experience there that, that they could have used last night. I want to go back to Justin Fields for a second. And we're talking with Dan Weederer, who does a great job in the Tribune and also with us in the Take the North podcast with our buddy David Hall, who was looking for you this morning. And we were like, he's still in L.A. Why don't you give him a break? He's trying to get back home. Um, For Justin Fields, Olin has been very vocal about him needing a fresh start someplace else and that he wouldn't want him here. I'm curious on how all of this plays out with everything that has happened and them clearly like Getsy having fallen in love with Beijing all the way back at the senior bowl and, and now being able to try and do some stuff with him in, in actual NFL games. How do you expect that Justin Fields is going to approach getting back on the field and, and trying to save his career? Cause I think that's probably where we're at 
where do you want to be a starter or do you want to be a journeyman who's looking for a place to get in and fit in? When you say, how do you think he'll approach it just in terms of his ambition to play? Yeah. Like, how do you think all of it will work together? How do you think that they'll go about, will they tailor a game plan a little bit more to him? Or is Getsy dug in on this is the way that Tyson does is the way that it should look. No, and- I, I, like, I think, I think that's, that, that's getting out, out there. And that, that, that's just, I, I don't buy into that because they, they have tailored game plans to Justin. They have tried to, to work with his strengths. We saw it last year. We've seen it in, in, in parts this year. At some point, the quarterback has to step up and be consistent, you know? And so what you had against Denver and Washington was, was flashes where you, okay, let's, let's try to build on those. And so if you're Justin, you have to say, let me get back on this field as soon as I can and try to put together a stretch of a month or longer where I play really good football, where I quarterback my team to victories, where I quarterback my offense to consistent success and things look like NFL passing games are supposed to look in ways that that produce success for the team. Like the, the, the challenge is pretty straightforward. And now it's a, the quarterback's responsibility to go meet that and 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 get there. I like, you know, last week I think obviously you guys lived it more than I did. There was there was incredible extreme exaltation of what Tyson Bajan had done in his first start. And then what that does in the the world of public reaction is it creates the, this extreme pushback from the people that, that feel like Justin is consistently being victimized by his coaches and people that, that critique him. And then everybody just starts pushing back against each other and then it gets louder and then it just gets confused. But there's a, a very basic test here for Justin Fields over the final nine games of the season, however many he can play to show that he is making growth in major areas of being a successful starting quarterback for a franchise. And it's now his opportunity to go to go seize those and do something with them and show the rest of the league that he does have a future, even if it's not in Chicago. The Texas right. I forgot to finish off that second part of the question. Valus Jones, go. Yeah. yeah, no. So like, listen, like I'm sure you guys have read and probably listened to some extent to, to the quotes he had about that dropped pass in the end zone. And there was like a, a good minute plus uh, at first of him explaining how he fell down. You know, and and you're just like, man, like you're an NFL receiver in your second season. There are certain things that come with route running that need to be fluid. Your ability to tempo routes and and not overrun landmarks, your ability to come back to a football that is not thrown perfectly, your ability to have body control enough that even if you do stumble and the ball hits you in the stomach, you catch it. And then maybe the most bothersome thing to me in the exchange, and I appreciate Bales because he's an honest guy, he's a hardworking guy, all those things, but he said, once again, you know, everything happens for a reason. And this is like the seventh or eighth, everything happens for a reason blunder that he's explained away in a season and a half. And when maybe the reason are, is he's not supposed to be on the roster anymore. And, and, and right. And when, when none of those are ever offset by a, a game changing contribution, a, a, you know, a momentum turning touchdown, a, a big play that your offense or special teams badly needs, then I don't know what the reason is, you know, and it just, it, it, it's a guy who's, who's struggled now for a year and a half and it, to his own, uh, you know, admission last night, he called it devastating because y- your window of opportunity to show coaches who you are gets squeezed every time you screw up. And then when one of those opportunities presents itself and you screw up again, guess what? That window closes even further. I always talk about those windows that slam like a guillotine blade. And that might've been one, one for, uh, for Valus that, that, you know, is the last straw for what, for what this coaching staff and this organization is going to, going to tolerate because you've got to be able to help the football team. Dan, thanks so much for being on with us, and good luck in 37C. Yeah, yeah, I think it's 33C today, so uh, we'll spread our legs out and get the laptop out, and I'll I'll, uh, I'll report back to you on what I hear from 
from Chris and Mike. Enjoy. <laughs> You've no right, idea. <laughs> That's Dan Weederer.